This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Harvester by Jean Stratton Porter. Read by Cindy Steib. Chapter 13. Part 2. When the Dream Came True. By and by came tapping at the door, and she sprang up and, crossing to the dressing-table, straightened her hair and composed her face. "'Ajax demands to see you,' cried a gay voice. The girl stepped outside. "'Don't be frightened if he screams at you,' warned the harvester as she passed him. "'He detests a stranger, and he always cries and sulks.' It was a question what was in the head of the bird, as he saw the strange-looking creature invading his domain, and he did scream, a wild, high, strident wail that delighted the harvester inexpressibly, because it sent the girl headlong into his arms. "'Oh, good gracious!' she cried. "'Has such a beautiful bird got a noise in it like that? Why, I've fed them in parks, and I never heard one explode before.' <laughs> then how the harvester laughed. "'But you see you are in the woods now, and this is not a park bird. "'It will be the test of your power to see how soon you can coax him to your hand. "'How do I work to win him?' "'I am afraid I can't tell you that,' said the harvester. "'I had to invent a plan for myself. "'It required a long time and much petting, and my methods might not avail for you. "'It will interest you to study that out.' but the member of the family it is positively essential that you win to a life-and-death allegiance is Belshazzar. If you can make him love you, he will protect you at every turn. He will go before you into the forest, and all the crawling, creeping things will get out of his way. He will nose around the flowers you want to gather, and if he growls and the hair on the back of his neck rises, never forget that you must heed that warning. A few times I have not stopped for it, and I always have been sorry. So far as anything animate or uncertain footing is concerned, you are always perfectly safe if you obey him. About touching plants and flowers, you must confine yourself to those you are certain you know, until I can teach you. There are gorgeous and wonderfully attractive things here, but some of them are rank poison. You won't handle plants you don't know until you learn, Ruth. I will not she promised instantly. She went to the seat under the porch tree, and leaning against the trunk, she studied the hill and the rippling course of singing water where it turned and curved before the cabin and started across the vivid little marsh toward the lake. Then she looked at the harvester. He seated himself on the low railing and smiled at her. "'You are very tired?' he asked. "'No,' she said. "'You are right about the air being better up here.' It is stimulating instead of depressing. So far as pure air, location, and water are concerned, said the harvester, I consider this place ideal. The lake is large enough to cool the air and raise sufficient moisture to dampen it, and too small to make it really cold and disagreeable. The slope of the hill gives perfect drainage. The heaviest rains do not wet the earth for more than three hours. North, south, and west breezes sweep the cool air from the water to the cabin in summer. The same suns warm us here on the winter hillside. My violets, spring beauties, anemones, and Dutchman's breeches here are always two weeks ahead of those in the woods. I am not afraid of your not liking the location or the air. As for the cabin, 
If you don't care for that, it's very simple. I'll transform it into a laboratory and dry house and build you whatever you want, within my means, over there on the hill just across Singing Water and facing the valley toward Onabasha. That's a perfect location. The thing that worries me is what you are going to do for company, especially when I am away. Don't trouble yourself about anything, she said. Just say in your heart, she is going to be stronger than she ever has been in her life in this lovely place, and she has more right now than she ever had or hoped to have. For one thing, I am going to study your books. I never have had time before. While we sewed or embroidered, Mother talked by the hour of the great writers of the world, told me what they wrote, and how they expressed themselves, but I got to read very little for myself. "'Books are my company,' said the harvester. "'Do your friends come often?' "'Almost never. Doc and his wife come most, and if you look out some day and see a white-haired, bent old woman with a face as sweet as dawn coming up the bank of singing water, that will be my mother's friend, Granny Morland.' who joins us on the north over there. She is frank and brisk, so she says what she thinks with unmistakable distinctness. But her heart is big and tender, and her philosophy keeps her sweet and kindly, despite the ache of rheumatism and the weight of seventy years. "'I'd love to have her come,' said the girl. "'Is that all?' "'Yes.' "'Why?' "'Your favorite word,' laughed the harvester. "'The reason lies with me.' or rather with my mother. Some day I will tell you the whole story and the cause. I think now I can encompass it in this. The place is an experiment. When medicinal herbs, roots, and barks became so scarce that some of the most important were almost extinct, it occurred to me that it would be a good idea to stop traveling miles and poaching on the woods of other people and turn our land into an herb garden. For four years before mother went, and six cents, I've worked with all my might, and results are beginning to take shape. While I've been at it, of course, my neighbors had an inkling of what was going on, and I've been called a fool, lazy, and a fanatic, because I did not fell the trees and plow for corn. You readily can see I'm a little short of corn ground out there. He waved toward the marsh and lake, and up there, he indicated the steep hill and wood, but somewhere on this land I've been able to find muck for mallows, water for flags and willows, shade for ferns, lilies, and ginseng, rocky, sunny places for mullein, and open, fertile beds for bouncing bet, just for examples. God never evolved a place better suited for an herb farm. From woods to water and all that goes between, it is perfect. And indescribably lovely, added the girl. Yes, I think it is, said the harvester. But in the days when I didn't know how it was coming out, I was sensitive about it, so I kept quiet and worked, and allowed the other fellow to do the talking. After a while the ginseng bed grew a treasure worth guarding, and I didn't care for any one to know how much I had or where it was, as a matter of precaution. Ginseng and money are synonymous, and I was forced to be away some of the time. Would anyone take it? Certainly, said the harvester. If they knew it was there and what it was worth. Then, as I've told you, much of the stuff here must not be handled except by experts. And I didn't want people coming in my absence and taking risks. The remainder of my reason for living so alone is cowardice, pure and simple. Cowardice? You? Oh, no. 
thank you said the harvester but it is some day i'll tell you of a very solemn oath i've had to keep it hasn't been easy you wouldn't understand at least not now if the day ever comes when i think you will i'll tell you just now i can express it by that one word i didn't dare fail or i felt i would be lost as my father was before me so i remained away from the city and its temptations and men of my age and worked in the woods until i was tired enough to drop read books that helped tinkered with the carving and sometimes i had an idea and i went into that little building behind the dry house took out my different herbs and tried my hand at compounding a new cure for some of the pains of humanity it isn't bad work ruth it keeps a fellow at a fairly decent level and some good may come of it carrie is trying several formula for me and if they work i'll carry them higher if you want money girl i know how to get it for you don't you want it not one cent more than i've got said the harvester emphatically when any man accumulates more than he can earn with his own hands he begins to enrich himself at the expense of the youth the sweat the blood the joy of his fellow men i can go to the city take a look and see what money does as a rule and it's another thing i'm afraid of you will find me a dreadful coward on those two points i don't want to know society and its ways i see what it does to other men it would be presumption to reckon myself stronger so i live alone as for money i've watched the cross-cuts and the quick and easy ways to accumulate it but i've had something in me that held me to the slow sure clean work of my own hands and it's yielded me enough for one for two even in a reasonable degree so i've worked read compounded and carved if i couldn't wear myself down enough to sleep by any other method i went into the lake and swam across and back and that is guaranteed to put any man to rest clean and unashamed six years said the girl softly as she steadied him i think it has set a mark on you i believe i can trace it your forehead brow and eyes bear the lines and the appearance of all experience all comprehension but your lips are those of a very young lad i shouldn't be surprised if i had that kiss ready for you and i really believe i can make it worth while oh good lord cried the harvester turning a backward somersault over the railing and starting in big bounds up the drive toward the stable he passed around it and into the woods at a rush and a few seconds later from somewhere on the top of the hill his strong deep voice swept down glory glory hallelujah he sang it through at the top of his lungs that majestic old hymn but there was no music at all it was simply a roar by and by he came soberly to the barn and paused to stroke betsy's nose stop chewing grass and listen to me he said she's here betsy she's in our cabin she's going to remain you can stake your oats on that she's going to be the loveliest and sweetest girl in all the world and because you're a beast i'll tell you something a man never could know down with your ear you critter she's going to kiss me betsy this very night before i lay me her lips meet mine and maybe you think that won't be glorious i supposed it would be a year anyway but it's now ain't you glad you are an animal betsy and can keep secrets for a full man that can't he walked down the driveway and before the girl had a chance to speak he said i wonder if i had not better carry those things into your room and arrange your bed for you i can she said 
Oh, no, exclaimed the harvester. You can't lift the mattress and heavy covers. Hold the door and tell me how. He laid a big bundle on the floor, opened it, and took out the shoes. Your shoe box is in the closet there. I didn't know what that door was, so I didn't open it. That is part of my arrangements for you, said the harvester. Here is a closet with shelves for your covers and other things. They are bare because I didn't know just what should be put on them. This is the shoe-box here in the corner. I'll put these in it now. He knelt and in a row set the shoes in the curly maple-box and closed it. There you are for all kinds of places and varieties of weather. This adjoining is your bathroom. I put in towels, soaps, brushes, and everything I could think of, and there is hot water ready for you. Rainwater, too. The girl followed and looked into a shining little bathroom with its white porcelain tub and washbowl, enameled woodwork, dainty green walls and white curtains and towels. She could see no accessory she knew of that was missing, and there were many things to which she never had been accustomed. The harvester had gone back to the sunshine room and was kneeling on the floor beside the bundle. He began opening boxes and handing her dresses. There are skirt, coat, and waist hangers on the hooks, he said. I only got a few things to start on because I didn't know what you would like. Instead of being so careful with that dress, why don't you take it off and put on a common one? Then we will have something to eat and go to the top of the hill and watch the moon bridge the lake. While she hung the dresses and selected the one to wear, he placed the mattress, spread the padding and sheets, and encased the pillow. Then he bent and pressed the springs with his hands. I think you will find that soft and easy enough for health, he said. All the personal belongings I had that clerk put up for you are in that chest of drawers there. I put the little boxes in the top and went down. You can empty and arrange them tomorrow. Just hunt out what you will need now. There should be everything a girl uses there somewhere. I told them to be very careful about that. If the things are not right or not to your taste, we can take them back as soon as you are rested, and they will exchange them for you. If there is anything I have missed that you can think of that you need tonight, tell me and I'll go and get it. The girl turned toward him. You couldn't be making sport of me, she said. But man, can't you see that I don't know what to do with half you have here? I never saw such things closely before. I don't know what they are for. I don't know how to use them. My mother would have known, but I do not. You overwhelm me. Fifty times I've tried to tell you that a room of my very own, such a room as this will be when tomorrow's sun comes in, and these and these and these. She turned from the chest of boxes to the dressing table, bed, closet, and bath. All these for me, and you know absolutely nothing about me. I get a big lump in my throat, and the words that do come all seem so meaningless. I am perfectly ashamed to say them. Oh, man, why do you do it? I thought it was about time to spring another why on me, said the harvester. Thank God I am now in a position where I can tell you why. I do it because you are the girl of my dream, my mate, by every law of heaven and earth. All men build as well as they know when the one woman of the universe lays her spell on them. I did all this for myself, just as a kind of expression of what it would be in my heart to do if I could do what I'd like. Put on the easiest dress you can find, and I'll go and set out something to eat. She stood with arms high-piled with the prettiest dresses that could be selected hurriedly. 
the tears running down her white cheeks, and smiled through them at him. "'There wouldn't be any of that liquid amber, would there?' she asked. "'Quartz!' cried the harvester. "'I'll bring some. Does it really hit the spot, Ruth?' he questioned as he handed her the glass. She heaped the dresses on the bed and took it. "'It really does. I am afraid I am using too much.' "'I don't think it can possibly hurt you. "'Tomorrow we will ask Doc. "'How soon will you be ready for lunch?' "'I don't want a bite.' "'You will when you see and smell it,' said the harvester. "'I am an expert cook. "'It's my chiefest accomplishment. "'You should taste the dishes I improvise. "'But there won't be much tonight "'because I want you to see the moon rise over the lake.' "'He went away, and the girl removed her dress "'and spread it on the couch. "'Then she bathed her face and hands.' When she saw the discolored cloth, it proved that she had been painted and made her very indignant. Yet she could not be altogether angry, for that flush of color had saved the harvester from being pitied by his friend. She stood a long time before the mirror, staring at her gaunt, colorless face. Then she went to the dressing-table and committed a crime. She found a box of cream and rubbed it on for a foundation. Then she opened some pink powder and carefully dusted her cheeks. "'I am utterly ashamed,' she said to the image in the mirror. "'But he has done so much for me. He is so, so, I don't know a word big enough, that I can't bear him to see how ghastly I am, how little worth it. Perhaps the food, better air, and outdoor exercise will give me strength and color soon. Until it does, I'm afraid I'm going to help out all I can with this.' It is wonderful how it changes one. I really appear like a girl instead of a bony old woman. Then she looked over the dresses, selected a pretty white princess, slipped it on, and went to the kitchen. But the harvester would not have her there. He seated her at the dining table beside the window overlooking the lake, lighted a pair of his homemade candles in his finest sticks, and placed before her bread, butter, cold meat, milk, and fruit and together they ate their first meal in their home. "'If I had known,' said the harvester, "'Granny Moreland is a famous cook. She is a southern woman, and she can fry chicken and make some especial dishes to surpass any one I ever knew. She would have been so pleased to come over and get us an all-right supper.' "'I'd much rather have this and be by ourselves,' said the girl. "'Well, you can bank on it. I would,' agreed the harvester. "'For instance, if any one were here, I might feel restrained about telling you that you are exactly the beautiful flushed dream girl I have adored for months, and your dress most becoming. You are a picture to blind the eyes of a lonely bachelor, Ruth. Oh, why did you say that? wailed the girl. Now I've got to feel like a sneak or tell you, and I didn't want you to know. Don't you ever tell me or anyone else anything you don't want to, said the harvester roundly. It's nobody's business. "'But I must. I can't begin with deception. I was fool enough to think you wouldn't notice. Man, they painted me. I didn't know they were doing it, but when it all washed off I looked so ghastly I almost frightened myself. I hunted through the boxes they put up for you and found some pink powder. But don't all the daintiest women powder these days and consider it indispensable? The clerk said so, and I've noticed it mentioned in the papers. I bought it for you to use.' Yes, just powder. But, man, I put on a lot of cold cream first to stick the powder good and thick. Oh, I wish I hadn't. Well, since you've told it, 
Is your conscience perfectly at ease? No, you don't. You sit where you are. You are lovely, and if you don't use enough powder to cover the paleness until your color returns, I'll hold you and put it on. I know you feel better when you appear so that everyone must admire you. Yes, but I'm a fraud. You are no such thing, cried the harvester hotly. There hasn't a woman in ten thousand got any such rope of hair. I have been seeing the papers on the hair question, too. No one will believe it's real. If they think your hair is false when it is natural, they won't be any more fooled when they think your color is real, and it isn't. Very soon it will be, and no one need ever know the difference. You go on and fix up your level best. To see yourself appearing well will make you ambitious to become so as soon as possible. Harvester man, said the girl, gazing at him with wet, luminous eyes. For the sake of other women, I could wish that all men had an oath to keep and had been reared in the woods. Here is the place we adjourn to the moon, cried the harvester. I don't know of anything that can cure a sudden accession of swell head like gazing at the heavens. One finds his place among the atoms naturally and instantaneously with the eyes on the night sky. Should you have a wrap? You should. The mists from the lake are cool. I don't believe there is one among my orders. I forgot that. But upstairs with mother's clothing there are several shawls and shoulder capes. All of them are washed and carefully packed. Would you use one, Ruth? Why not give it to me? Wouldn't she like me to wear her things better than to have them lying in mothballs? The harvester looked at her and shook his head, marveling. I can't tell how pleased she would be, he said. Where are her belongings? asked the girl. I could use them to help furnish the house, and it wouldn't appear so strange to you. The harvester liked that. All the washed things are in those boxes upstairs, also some fine skins I've saved on the chance of wanting them. Her dishes are in the bottom of the china closet there. She was mighty proud of them. The furniture and carpets were so old and abused I burned them. I'll go bring a wrap. He took a candle and climbed the stairs, soon returning with a little white wool shawl and a big pink coverlet. Got this for her for Christmas one time, he said. She'd never had a white one, and she thought it was pretty. He folded it around the girl's shoulders and picked up the coverlet. You're never going to take that to the woods, she cried. Why not? She took it in her hands to find a corner. Just as I thought. It's a genuine Peter Hartman. It's one of the things that money can't buy, or rather, one that takes a mint of money to own. They are heirlooms. They are not manufactured any more. At the art store where I worked, they'd give you fifty dollars for that. It is not faded or worn a particle. It would be lovely in my room. You mustn't take a treasure like that out of doors. Ruth, are you in earnest? demanded the harvester. I believe there are six of them upstairs. Plutocrat, cried the girl. What colors? More of this pinkish red, blue, and pale green. Famous. May I have them to help furnish with tomorrow? Certainly. Anything you can find, any way on earth you want it, only in my room. That is taboo, as I told you. What am I going to take tonight? Isn't the rug you had in the woods in the wagon yet? Use that. Of course, the very thing. Bell, proceed. Are you going to leave the house like this? Why not? Suppose someone breaks in. Nothing worth carrying away except what you have on. No one to get in. 
There is a big swamp back of our woods, marsh in front. We're up here where we can see the drive and bridge. There is nothing possible from any direction. Never locked the cabin in my life except your room, and that was because it was sacred, not that there was any danger. Clear the way, Bell. Clear it of what? Katydids, hop-toads, and other carnivorous animals. Now you are making fun of me. Clear it of what? A coon that might go shuffling across, an opossum, or a snake going to the lake. Now are you frightened so that you will not go? No, the path is broad and white, and surely you and Belle can take care of me. If you will trust us, we can. Well, I am trusting you. You are indeed, said the harvester. Now see if you think this is pretty. He indicated the hill sloping toward the lake. The path wound among massive trees, between whose branches patches of moonlight filtered. Around the lake shore and climbing the hill were thickets of bushes. The water lay shining in the light. A gentle wind ruffled the surface in undulant waves, and on the opposite bank arose the line of big trees. Under a giant oak, widely branching, on the top of the hill, the harvester spread the rug and held one end of it against the tree trunk to protect the girl's dress. Then he sat a little distance away and began to talk. He mingled some sense with a quantity of nonsense and appreciated every hint of a laugh he heard. The day had been no amusing matter for a girl absolutely alone among strange people and scenes. Anything more foreign to her previous environment or expectations he could not imagine. So he talked to prevent her from thinking and worked for a laugh as he labored for bread. Now we must go, he said at last. If there is the malaria I strongly suspect in your system, this night air is none too good for you. I only wanted you to see the lake the first night in your new home, and if it won't shock you, I brought you here because this is my holy of holies. Can you guess why I wanted you to come, Ruth? If I wasn't so stupid with alternate burning and chills, and so deadened to every proper sensibility, I suppose I could, she answered. But I'm not brilliant. I don't know, unless it is because you knew it would be the loveliest place I ever saw. Surely there is no other spot in the world quite so beautiful. Then would it seem strange to you, asked the harvester, going to the girl, and gently putting his arms around her, would it seem strange to you that a woman who once homed here, and thought it the prettiest place on earth, chose to remain for her eternal sleep, rather than to rest in a distant city of stranger dead? He felt the girl tremble against him. Where is she? Very close, said the harvester. Under this oak. She used to say that she had a speaking acquaintance with every tree on our land, and of them all she loved this big one the best. She liked to come here in winter and feel the sting of the wind sweeping across the lake, and in summer this was her place to read and to think. So when she slept the unwaking sleep, Ruth, I came here and made her bed with my own hands, and then carried her to it, covered her, and she sleeps well. I never have regretted her going. Life did not bring her joy. She was very tired. She used to say that after her soul had fled, if I would lay her here, perhaps the big roots would reach down and find her, and from her frail frame gather slight nourishment, and then her body would live again, in talking leaves that would shelter me in summer, and whisper her love in winter. Of all medicine woods, this is the dearest spot to me. Can you love it too, Ruth? 
Oh, I can, cried the girl. I do now. Just to see the place and hear that is enough. I wish, oh, to my soul, I wish. You wish what? whispered the harvester gently. I dare not. I was wild to think of it. I would be ungrateful to ask it. You would be ungracious if you didn't ask anything that would give me the joy of pleasing you. How long is it going to require for you to learn, Ruth, that to make up for some of the difficulties life has brought you would give me more happiness than anything else could? Tell me now. No. He gathered her closer. Ruth, there is no reason why you should be actively unkind to me. What is it you wish? She struggled from his arms and stood alone in white moonlight, staring across the lake, along the shore, deep into the perfumed forest, and then at the mound she now could distinguish under the giant tree. Suddenly she went to him, and with both shaking hands gripped his arm. My mother, she panted. Oh, she was a beautiful woman, delicately reared, and her heart was crushed and broken. By the inch she went to a dreadful end I could not avert or allay and in poverty and grime I fought for a way to save her body from further horror. And it's all so dreadful. I thought all feeling in me was dried and still, but I am not quite calloused yet. I suffer it over with every breath. It is never entirely out of my mind. Oh, man, if only you would lift her from the horrible place she lies, where briars run riot and cattle trample and the unmerciful sun beats. Oh, if only you'd lift her from it and bring her here. I believe it would take away some of the horror, the shame, and the heartache. I believe I could go to sleep without hearing the voice of her suffering, if I knew she was lying on this hill, under your beautiful tree, close to the dear mother you love. Oh, man, would you? The harvester crushed the girl in his arms, and shuddering sobs shook his big frame, and choked his voice. Ruth, for God's sake, be quiet, he cried. Why, I'd be glad to! I'll go anywhere you tell me and bring her, and she shall rest where the lake murmurs, the trees shelter, the winds sing, and earth knows the sun only in long rays of gold light. She stared at him with strained face. You, you wouldn't, she breathed. Ruth, child, said the harvester, I tell you I'd be happy. Look at my side of this. I'm in search of bands to bind you to me and to this place. Could you tell me a stronger than to have the mother you idolized lie here for her long sleep? Why, girl, you can't know the deep and abiding joy it would give me to bring her. I'd feel I had you almost secure. Where is she, Ruth? In that old, unkept cemetery south of Onabasha, where it costs no money to lay away your loved ones. Close here. Why, I'll go tomorrow. I supposed she was in the city. She straightened and drew away from him. How could I? I had nothing. I could not have paid even her fare and brought her here in the cheapest box the decency of man would allow him to make if her doctor had not given me the money I owe. Now do you understand why I must earn and pay it myself? Save for him, it was charity or her delicate body to horrors. Money can never repay him. Ruth, the day you came to Onabasha, was she with you? In the express car, said the girl. Where did you go when you left the train shed? straight to the baggage-room where uncle henry was waiting men brought and put her in his wagon and he drove with me to the place and other men lowered her and that was all you poor girl cried the harvester 
This time tomorrow night she shall sleep in luxury under this oak, so help me God. Ruth, can you spare me? May I go at once? I can't rest myself. You will? cried the girl. You will? She was laughing in the moonlight. Oh, man, I can't ever, ever tell you. Don't try, said the harvester. Call it settled. I will start early in the morning. I know that little cemetery. The man whose land it is on can point me the spot. She is probably the last one laid there. Come now, Ruth. Go to the room I made for you and sleep deeply and in peace. Will you try to rest? Oh, David, she exulted. Only think. Here where it's clean and cool, beside the lake where leaves fall gently, and I can come and sit close to her and bring flowers, and she never will be alone for your dear mother is here. Oh, David. It is better. I can't thank you enough for thinking of it. Come now, let me help you. He half carried her down the hill. Then he made the cabin a glamour of light by putting candles in the sticks he had carved and placing them everywhere. There is a lighting plant in the basement, he said, but I had not expected to use it until winter, and I have no acetylene. Candles were our grandmother's lights, and they are the best anyway. Go bathe your face, Ruth, and wash away all trace of tears. Put on the pink powder, and in a few weeks you will have color to outdo the wildest rose. You must be as gay as you can the remainder of this night. I will, cried the girl. I will. Oh, I didn't know a thing on earth could make me happy. I didn't know I really could be glad. Oh, if the ice in my heart would melt and the wall break down, and the girlhood I've never known would come yet. Oh, David, if it would. Before the Lord it shall, vowed the harvester. It shall come with the fullness of joy right here in Medicine Woods. Think it, believe it, keep it before you, work for it. Happiness is worthwhile. All of us have a right to it. It shall be yours and soon. I will try, I will, promised the girl. I'll go right now, and I'll put on the blessed pink powder so thickly you'll never know what is under it, and soon it won't be needed at all. She was laughing as she left the room. The harvester restlessly walked the floor a few minutes, and then sat with a notebook and began entering items. When the girl returned, he brought the pillow from her bed, folded the coverlet, and she lay on them in the big swing. He covered her with the whitest shawl, and while singing water sang its loudest, Katie Dids exulted over the delightful act of their ancestor, and a million gauze-winged creatures of night hummed against the screen. In a voice soft and low, he told her in a steady stream as he swayed her back and forth, what each sound of the night was, and how and why it was made all the way from the rumbling buzz of the June bug to the screech of the owl and the splash of the bass in the lake. All of it, as it appealed to him, was the story of steady evolution, the natural processes of reproduction, the joy of life and its battles, and the conquest of the strong in nature. At his hands every sound was stripped of terror, the leaping bass was exulting in life. The screeching owl was telling its mate it had found a fat mouse for the children. The night hawk was courting. The big bullfrogs booming around the lake were serenading the moon. There was not a thing to fear, or a voice left with an unsympathetic note in it. She was half asleep when at last he helped her to her room, set a pitcher of frosty clinking drink on her table, locked her door and window screens inside, 
spread Belshazzar's blanket on her porch, and set his door wide open, so that he might hear if she called, and then said good night and went back to his memorandum book. No bad beginning, he muttered softly. No bad beginning, but I'd almost give my right hand if she hadn't forgotten. In her room, the exhausted girl slipped the pins from her hair and sank on the low chair before the dressing table. She picked up the shining silver-backed brush and stared at the monogram, R.J.L., entwined on it. "'My soul!' she exclaimed. "'Was he so sure as that? Was there ever any other man like him?' She dropped the brush and with tired hands pushed back the heavy braids. Then she arose and, going to the chest of drawers, began lifting lids to find a night robe. As she searched the boxes, she found every dainty, pretty undergarment a girl ever used, and at last the robes. She shook out a long white one, slipped into it, and walked to the bed. That stood as he had arranged it, white, clean, and dainty. "'Everything for me,' she said softly. "'Everything for me. Shall there be nothing for him?' Oh, he makes it easy, easy. She stepped to the closet, picked down a lavender silk kimono, and drawing it over her gown, she gathered it around her, and opening the bathroom door, she stepped into a little hall, leaning to the dining room. As she entered the living room, the harvester bent over his book. Her step was very close when he heard it and turned his head. In an instant she touched his shoulders. The harvester dropped the pencil, and palm downward laid his hands on the table, his promise strong in his heart. The girl slid a shaking palm under his chin, leaned his head against her breast, and dropped a sweet, tear-wet face on his. With all the strength of her frail arms, she gripped him a second, and then gave the kiss, into which she tried to put all she could find no words to express. End of chapter 13 Part 2